Ooh, I'm kind of emotional today, so get ready. I'm going to get a hold of myself. Ooh, I love that man. You really, you have no idea. Um, that man went through some hard times with me. Um, he caught me. And I'm going to tell you what, he's got some strong arms. Um, he allowed me in, a, in really hard times to minister through my brokenness. This church is important to me. They caught me. And um, it's really emotional. <laughs> so many things happened here. I was able to lead music when I was so broken. And it really fed me. Um, it was probably one of the first times that I also was asked to be on a teaching staff. And uh, was really surprised by that and insecure when I started. And... Um, was so loved and he is still an integral part of my life and uh, he was an integral part of Zach's life and is probably one of the biggest prayer warriors for Hillary Hoffpower that you can even imagine so um, and while I'm mentioning that um, I thought I, I need uh, people are always asking me Shannon how can we help you well I can tell you I need prayer um, today's a hard day Tomorrow's Zach's birthday. Oh. <laughs> so I'm really emotional today. <laughs> but more than that, thank you. It's um, more than that, I'm tired. You know, I've been out speaking all weekend, um, which was awesome. I was in the Portland area, uh, flew into Portland, Oregon, and I spoke in Washington on Friday night in two places in Oregon on uh, Saturday, Sunday, and I flew in yesterday morning, um, and I was studying, and uh, it, it was, I can feel my body knowing Wednesday's coming, but Hillary called, and, and she's doing so good, and, and that's an answer to prayer. On Sunday, I was out traveling, and she called me, and she goes, Hey, Mom, did you, listen, did you see uh, CCV service this weekend? I go, No, babe, I'm, in, I'm out in Oregon. And she goes, Man, Ashley was on one, man. It was so good. <laughs> At first, I was like, Oh, he was on one? Like, what does that mean? And uh, she's like, Oh, it was so good. And I said, What was it about? I go, I know that they're doing a series on deconstructing your faith, and it's been so good. And she said it was... It was uh, on why bad things happen to good people. And she said, I was actually surprised you weren't on it with them. <laughs> and I said, well, they've kind of heard my story, so <laughs> I'm not the only one. And so she and her new husband were just going off telling me how awesome it was and that they cried through the whole thing. And, and uh, just listening to her was amazing because you have no idea how angry she has been and how... She was running the other direction, and now I'm watching her come back, right? So we were talking, and we were talking about how Wednesday is Zach's birthday and that she wanted so badly to be with me, um, but it's just not possible right now. And so, uh, but we started telling stories, and, and we were laughing and encouraging each other, and it was just, it was pretty amazing. And I have to tell you this, that about two and a half months ago, uh, Hillary's car was stolen, <laughs> 
this is just our life. And her car was stolen, and it was a great panic, and she had let her insurance lapse, so that was a great panic, and it was a fiasco. They found it, it got towed, it was damaged. I mean, by the end of the time, um, her dad helped her uh, get it out and kind of get it fixed and stuff, but put some money into it. She just got it back a week and a half ago. And uh, we were having this conversation yesterday about all kinds of good things. And she goes into her apartment. She's in her apartment an hour. She comes out, and her car is stolen again. So she calls me in a fit. And I'm going to tell you what. It set me off. It did. It set me off. And I am just like, Lord... Are you, for, are you kidding me right now? What in the world? Can the kid catch a freaking break? I am exhausted. And I'm, I said, Hillary, uh, let me check on some things and I'll call you back. And she worked hard. to. She got it insured. But they're young and they're broke as a joke. And so she got liability. So that don't help, right? So... I got off the phone, and I had a total meltdown. And then I called them back because I'm sitting there going, okay, Shannon, what are you doing? This is an attack. And I am not one of those people who blames the devil for everything because I think we mess things up just fine ourselves. But I am telling you, this is darkness. And I called her back, and I said, you know what, Hillary? I said, here's the thing. I believe that we are under attack like never before. And you know what? You are returning, and the enemy does not like it. He does not like what is going on around here. And I'm telling you, he is setting every trap and doing everything he can to mess with us. And I go, you just heard a sermon on Sunday that moved you to the core. So guess what, girl? Now you two get a chance to walk in it. And we're not going to let some dumb $6,000 car mess us up because obviously we're annoying him. And the best way to get to me is through my kids, and the best way to get to you is through this constant negativity that happens to you all the time. And we're not going to do it. We're not going to buy it. And so I prayed over the two of them like I was a charismatic woman. (laughs) And I am telling you, I... Uh, talked to different people and sent a couple messages, and I just said, I, I'm not kidding you. We're under attack over here, and I need you to pray for us, and I need especially my daughter to see God move. And I don't know how or what, and uh, we're not going to worry about this stupid car. God always provides. He does. But I, I'm like, seriously, I'm worn out. And, and we know that tomorrow's going to be a hard day anyway. And for this nonsense to go on, it's just like, I'm like, okay, you know, enemy, now you've got me fired up. Because um, my daughter is on her way back. And to be quite honest, her personality, it has potential to either fillet you wide open or to change the world. And I'm fighting that she will be a part of changing the world. So if you would, this week and especially tomorrow, would you pray for Hillary and I and sweet Ben, who is her husband and is an answer to my prayers. 
because he is amazing. But pray that God will move in whatever way. I'm just going to leave it up to you. But boy, do we need it. And through all this emotion and stuff, I'm going to teach you. And, and here's the thing. I, I've said this before. I used to think that I would study and work really hard so that I could pour into women. And now I just realize that what I'm called to do is just pour out for you. And, um, and so there is amazing information in these notes. So I am praying that God will be faithful and allow me to be able to teach it that way. So let me pray, and uh, we're going to get started. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to have my face in your book. It is the anchor of my soul. That when the winds are blowing, Lord, I can look and realize that all that I've been studying tells me something. That despite appearances, that makes us feel like we're just swimming in a sea of chaos. That, Lord, you're above that. You are absolutely in control. You were not surprised by the events of yesterday or the events of the last five years of my life. And, Lord, we can trust you. And if we do, you will work it out to be the most redemptive, wonderful story that will impact for your kingdom. Either in a small way, by just a chance meeting with someone who's been through some stuff and just needs someone to talk to, or in a big way, preaching your word to crowds. And whatever it is, Lord, I'm fine with that. I'm fine being whatever you want me to be. So God, as we look at what, who you are and, and the fact that you, history is your story, it's his story, and nothing is by chance, and somehow you allow the free will of man to stay intact while your sovereign will brings all your promises to fruition. It's miraculous, actually. And so, God, you're worthy of my praise. So help me to fix my eyes on you. I sure love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Whew. Okay. Now that we got all that out of the way. Um, so last week, I went through the history of the world, really, right? Can I remind you, don't freak out about taking notes and miss what I'm saying. Um, this thing is on podcast. It's on video. Not that I love that. I don't like to watch myself at all. But I do it for you, and I do it for my mother, because she can't take notes. And so she stresses so bad about getting this information written down that she misses things. And I don't want you to do that. I want you to, if you're a good note taker, go ahead, do that. But if not, just listen um, and let God speak to you because you can go back and watch it later and you can actually pause it and write and pause it and write. Um, and sometimes that works a little bit better. But last week, I took you literally from the creation of all things to the end of the United Kingdom of Israel where they became a nation and they asked God for a king and he gave them what they wanted. He gave them exactly what they wanted, which was Saul. Saul was the first king of the United Kingdom of Israel. And then after Saul came David, right? Saul had no heart for God. 
David had a whole heart for God. And then his son, Solomon, I would say, had what? A half heart for God. Because he started off strong, but the things of the world pulled his heart away from the true God. Solomon was the king who built the temple for God. David had uh, the desire and he gathered much of the materials, but God did not allow David to build the temple. He allowed Solomon, his son, to build the temple. But you need to know that when he built the temple under the reign of Solomon, he did it with a lot of tax money. And he built a kingdom that had never been seen before. I mean, Solomon's kingdom was uh, massive. It was, it was uh, wealthy. People traveled all over to see the temple and see all that he had done. But it wasn't economically. It was a very hard time for the people of Israel. And they got really frustrated about it. But at least at that time, they realized that their money, much of their money, was going to build the temple. But when Solomon died, he left his, uh, he left his kingdom to his son, Rehoboam. And the problem is, Rehoboam kept the taxes high even after the temple was complete. And Jeroboam, we've got a lot of Boams, okay? <laughs> Jeroboam was Solomon's high council. And he kept telling the son, you've got to stop this. You're going to lose the kingdom if you do not do something with the economic situation. <laughs> Nothing new under the sun, right? I mean, you read all this and you're just like, oh my word. Rehoboam would not listen. And because of that, there was a split in the nation of Israel. Jeroboam took leadership of the northern tribes, which kept the name Israel. There were ten tribes in the north, and Jeroboam led them. Okay, Rehoboam, Solomon's son, held on to the southern kingdom, which no longer was referred to as Israel, but referred to as Judah. And that included only two tribes, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. You need to know that because as you read through the Old Testament, you will see now new references in there referring Israel and Judah. And sometimes if you don't know your Bible history, you're like, what? This does not make any sense. Aren't they the same people? Like, what are they talking about? Well, no, there is a split now, um, a divide of north-south. Just some basic info, okay? north is Israel, and they had 19 kings, all right? South, and by the way, zero good ones, awful. South were two tribes called, and they were referred to as Judah. They had 20 total kings, and they had eight good ones, all right? And so we're going to follow some today. We're going to follow some of the kings of Judah. We're going to be starting with Hezekiah in just a minute, who, by the way, is the 18th of the 20. Okay? But you need to know that they split. When they split during this time, 
Um, my kids used to watch this cartoon, stupidest cartoon ever. And the opening line was, what are we going to do today, Pinky? Same thing we do every day, brain. Try to take over the world, okay? This is the time of the Gentile empires. It is the time when the Gentile empires began to grow and take over the world. And if you know your world history, it started with the Assyrians. The Assyrians grew to power um, under one of their most famous kings, uh, Sennacherib. Well, that's a name, right? And the Assyrians came in and they took the ten northern tribes of Israel. They came in and they crushed them. And we know why, because the prophets warned us why. We know why, because they did not follow the law of God. And we're going to talk about that even more later. And so God, they made a covenant with God, a contract that was conditional. And we're going to look at that. And with that contract came blessings and curses. And he warned them through the prophets that if they did not stay unique, if they did not stay dedicated to him, that they would not stay in that land very long. And so he removed his hand and he let the empires do what the empires do. And the Assyrians came in and they demolished the ten tribes of Israel. And they had this, this way of doing things. Not only did they murder an enormous amount of people, they were truly barbaric, but they divided them up and they scattered them all over the empire so that they would not be united. And um, they were still, forever they've been referred to as the lost tribes of Israel. But during that time, the Assyrians attempted to come in to the southern area of Judah where Jerusalem is the, is the capital. The temple was there, okay? And they tried to come in and take that, but they failed. Why? Because there happened to be a good king on the throne, okay? And so this is where we're going to start. And that, because I want you to see what is happening up to the time of Daniel. And that good king's name is Hezekiah. All right, Hezekiah was the 18th king in the nation of Judah, and his name means Yahweh strengthens. But what I find seriously interesting about him, there's a couple of things, is that his father, Ahaz, not Ahab, but Ahaz, was literally one of the worst kings that Judah ever had. Let me read to you some of the descriptions. And if you write, if you are taking notes, just put 2 Kings 16 out beside Ahaz's name because this is where you're going to see the description of what he was like. But just let me give you some bullet points. He rejects God. He worships idols. He literally sacrificed his own sons to fire like the heathens. Um, he slept with prostitutes as an act of worship. He was a loser as a leader. This hop power version. You're not going to read 2 Kings 16 and it's going to say he's a loser as a leader. Um, he instigates everyone around him into all kinds of sin and crime. He literally shuts down the church, hammers the doors shut 
He prohibits worship. He has what I would call demonic anger outbursts that you wouldn't want to stick around for. And all of this, when he dies, he literally is buried with no due respect whatsoever as a king. Ahaz. How in this world did a king like that end up having a son that turns out like Hezekiah? So I'm going to tell you something in advance. (laughs) And y'all are going to judge me for it, maybe. I don't know. But there is a sermon that is preached all the time. If my friends are sitting here, they're going to laugh. That I hate. And literally, I hate it so bad that I think if I walk in a church and that's going to be the sermon, I'm just going to turn around and walk out. No, I'm not. But it's called the three chairs. I don't like it. Because I don't think it's correct. And it's about, you know, chair one Christians and chair two Christians and chair three not Christians. And that if you're a chair one Christian, you know, you're raising your kids in the right way. And they're going to possibly, they might be chair two and they need to determine that they're going to be chair one. And then this is how we end up with chair threes and this whole thing. And it's it's a whole formula that I despise. Because it does one of two things. You either walk out feeling like, you know, you did a great job and, you know, your kids turned out good because you were good. Or you walk out thinking, oh my gosh, I need to try harder so that my kids will be good. Or you walk out going, well, I screwed my kids up and it's all my dang fault. Right? I mean, it's just like this formula. If if we do this, we will receive this. And what do we know about life? It is not a formula. And the fact that when you hear the sermon and we're talking about chair number one, they always use the example of David. Are you kidding me? Okay, David, yes, he has a heart sold out to God. In his personal life, man, he sees his stuff. When he sees it, he repents quick. He hits his knees quick. And he loves God. But I would tell you right now, if we brought David back from the dead, he would not profess to being a great father or husband. Right? He wouldn't. And so, and not to mention that Solomon was pretty half-hearted in his situation. So, I'm just saying, we've got to be very careful when we make these formulas. Now, what we can count on, which is good about the sermon... There are principles to life, and there are ways of teaching and training our kids and making that a priority, and it is not just, and and it is true, we don't just teach them concepts, we have to what? Model them. We do, we have to model them. All of that is absolutely correct, but what I have seen in a lifetime and what we're going to see in Scripture is sometimes other factors are at play and people have free will and things happen in life and it doesn't turn out exactly the way we thought. And so I I just, I don't like that concept, but right here you have, and in every one, it's like a different scenario and that's what I love. There's no formula. How in the world did Ahaz, we're talking a wicked, wicked man, 
end up with Hezekiah. And I'm going to step out with my opinion. So write this in pencil. Don't write this in pen. Um, But Hezekiah happened to have a mom. And her name was Abijah. Abijah. My girl is here, my little girl. If you haven't been around, this is the little... Stand up, sweetheart. Stand up. She's the one that's going to take over my ministry. And I'm going to tell you, she knows probably more about the Bible than some of y'all in here. She's good, okay? And she talks back to me while I'm talking, and I like that. So Abijah is Hezekiah's mother, and her name means, My father is Yahweh. Now... I want you to have some background. Most people believe that Abijah was the daughter of Zechariah, who was the second king in Israel after Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, I told you, was Solomon's council. He took the ten tribes and separated. uh, um, Not Rehoboam. Yes. No. Jeroboam. See, the Boams are confusing. Jeroboam took the ten tribes and separated them. Rehoboam kept Judah. When Jeroboam separated the tribes, okay, Rehoboam refused to let them come to the temple and worship. And so instead, he built a temple in Samaria, which is against the law of Moses. After him came a king of the northern ten tribes called Zechariah. And remember I told you there aren't any good ones over here. His daughter is Abijah, and he was wicked. And, and historians believe that he was actually murdered in front of her eyes. Okay? And so she has seen the fruit of what is happening when you don't follow the law of God. She's literally seeing that in the northern kingdoms. And so at some point, we don't really know how, we don't know if it was a political deal, an alliance deal, or what, she ends up being married to Ahaz. So she goes from a wicked father to a wicked king husband trying to maneuver that. And do you remember how violent I told you he is? Okay, in that, and she has her son Hezekiah. She has seen the fruit of not abiding by the law of God. So what do you think she's instilling in her boy when she can? And let me tell you what. These Jewish queens, okay, this one was probably running her household as much as she could over here while he is causing all kinds of destruction. In my opinion, I believe she is pouring in and pouring in and pouring in and pouring in. There is an incredible power of a godly mother. Ask Samuel. Right? And so I think she made all the difference in the world. I'm going to encourage some of you right now. Some of you are married to men that aren't particularly awesome. And I'm sorry about that. And some of you are married to people that have these kind of outbursts and um, violence, and I want to encourage you, first off, don't ever put yourself in danger to stay there. But I also want to encourage you that you have a, an amazing impact on your children. You do. Mothers can speak into the hearts of their kids like no other. 
And that's all you can be responsible for. And I believe this shows us right here the impact that a mom can have on a son, even when she doesn't have a good partner and even where there's not good male leadership in there. I truly believe that, um, that we can and speak into the lives of our kids. Hezekiah took office at age 25. <laughs> what were your kids like at 25? <laughs> Holy crud. If I think about my kid at 25 taking over an empire, y'all are in trouble. I would be in trouble because I would be getting the phone calls of, I forgot my scepter, can you please bring it? Um, I need it today. Or, oh my gosh, can you pay this bill? I mean, are, are you with me? 25. 2 Kings 18.5 says he was more uh, zealous for the Lord than any of his predecessors. During his reign, he had some great advisors, some prophets. During his reign, during Hezekiah's reign, Isaiah was speaking into his life, and so was Micah. Micah was speaking into his life. So after his father... He had to come in to the land of Judah, the area of Judah, and he had to completely clean house. Completely. Let me tell you some of the things he did. The pagan altars, idols, and temples were destroyed. The bronze serpent that Moses formed, do you remember that story? Okay, if you were with me before in Exodus, you remember it. But when the second generation of Israel grew up in the wilderness, they were about to come in to take the promised land, but they had to take a detour, and they were not happy about it. And so they griped like you've never seen. And when they did, God allowed them to, uh, he allowed serpents to come in and bite them and sting them. And it was incredibly painful uh, they were called fiery serpents, and people were dying. And they went to Moses, and they said, we're sorry, take backs, take backs. Um, please, go to God on our behalf. And so Moses does that, and, Mo and God literally tells Moses to craft bronze serpent and put it up on a pole. And if the people look at it, they will live. Okay, that is bizarro. Because not too long ago, he was telling them not to worship or look at any graven image. Not to mention the image of a serpent, right? But what was the point? The point, he says, you raise that serpent up on a pole. What did he want them to look at? <clears throat> the very thing that was killing them. And if they believed God and they looked upon the very thing that was killing them, then they were going to be saved. Later on, Jesus says, the Son of Man will be lifted up like the bronze serpent in the wilderness. Why? He was lifted up for us. <clears throat> he became what was killing us. He who had no sin became sin for us. He said, he who had no sin became sin for us so that he, we might have his righteousness. It's that whole, I mean, it's the most beautiful picture of what Jesus would do for us. But do you realize that they kept the bronze serpent and they eventually worshipped it, thank you, like an idol? And so Hezekiah comes in. Listen, God gives us images, right? Because 
he is, he is so above our imagination that he gives us some concrete things to look at and to be able to understand him. But what happens with us is we have a tendency to then turn around and worship the concrete thing. And so that's what happened. And so Hezekiah comes in, and he tears down all of the altars of the idols, but then he also goes and gets that bronze serpent, and he destroys that too. Because he is like, no, you're not even going to worship, you know, an image that was designed to tell you about the one true God. No, we're not going to worship those images or those traditions over the living God. And then... It says that the temple was cleansed and restored. Remember, his father had nailed it shut. I got to thinking about this. I wonder how many people have to go in after having a parent like that and clean house. I mean, think about it. I know people that have fathers that live for, definitely live for worldly things. They lived their whole life worshiping the gods of the world. And maybe they had religious traditions, but in no way did that teach their kids the beauty of a living God. Sometimes it does the opposite. It makes God appear like something he actually isn't. And then I wonder how many fathers literally obstructed their children, from being in the presence of God. I mean, think about this. He comes in and he cleans house. How many of us need to come in and do some house cleaning in our heart and in our line, in our genealogy? We're like, no, this stops here. This stops here. I will not continue on what I came from. I'm going to stop it here. I'm going to clean house. I'm going to cast out all of these idols. And I am going to not be religious, but I'm going to teach them about the one true God. And I'm going to do everything I can to usher them into the presence of God so that they can experience him. This is what Hezekiah did per se in all of his land. He reestablished the priesthood. And he reinstated Passover as a national holiday, remembering what God had done for the nation. And under his reforms, revival came in Judah. Those were good days. Those things brought revival. 2 Kings 18, 6-7 says this, He held fast to the Lord, and he did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. But now he's going to face a crisis, and I'm going to start giving you a dateline, okay? Building up to the time of Daniel. In 701 BC, he faced a crisis. Because now the Assyrians, they have already taken the northern tribes of Israel, and they're coming now, and they're going to do a serious campaign in Judah. They're going to try to acquire Judah. The Assyrians who had already conquered had now turned their attention to Judah. Hezekiah was afraid. Of course he's afraid. These are the Assyrians. And he reached out to Isaiah. It's awesome. 
He reached out to his spiritual counsel. And Isaiah the prophet came back to him and said, just so you know, they will not get Jerusalem. They won't. So Hezekiah ignored the Assyrian threats. But I want you to hear the Assyrian threats. So open up your Bible because these are no little threats. 2 Kings 18. All of these kings are in there, by the way, if you want to read 2 Kings. And I'm just going to read 28 through 35 because I want you to hear what Hezekiah is hearing. Says then Rabshakeh stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah. Let that sink in. Why is he using their language? Who does he want to hear all this? All the people. He is speaking in their common language. This Assyrian is speaking in their common language so that he's not just speaking to the leadership, he wants all the people to hear it too. He is literally just propagating fear. He called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord. By the way, do you see that he's using their words for Lord? Their lingo? By saying, the Lord will surely deliver us, and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me, and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine, and each one his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water in his own cistern. We'll leave you alone. You'll keep what you have. Until I come and take you away to a land that's like your own, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, that you may live and not die. And do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nation ever delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? I mean, where are the gods of Hamath? In Arpad, where are the gods of, I don't even know what that is, Henna and Iva, have they delivered Samaria out of my hands? Where's that? That's in the land of Israel. It's already, been, it's already been taken and scattered. Do you see what is happening? He is coming. He is speaking in their language, familiarity, so that all the people can hear. He is propagating fear, and he is making them question not only their leadership, but the promises of God. Because Isaiah has said, God hath said, they will not get Jerusalem. And so he is coming out as a big bully. Who does this remind you of in Scripture? How about Goliath? This is what bullies do. They come out and they propagate fear. Why? Because they say just enough in your lingo or maybe just enough 
truth, because it is true, nobody has been able to stop the king of Assyria. They say just enough to make you seriously afraid so that you're shaking in your shoes and you don't trust God and you won't engage in battle because you're already too afraid to engage in battle. It makes me think of that. But when we think of the story of David and Goliath, same deal. The entire army of Saul is shaking in their shoes because they're so afraid of this big giant that comes out talking smack where everybody can hear. And what does David say? Who in the world would defy the armies of the living God? And he goes out in his own strength, not with the armor of Saul, and he picks up five stones, right? Why five? I mean, he only needed one. The first one worked. Some people think, oh, because he, and he did. Goliath had four brothers. Like maybe there was going to be retaliation. I don't really think so. The number five, so in the Hebrew language, it is alphanumeric. So the number five represents the, what I would, the letter H, or the, the sound, right? And that letter literally represents the breath of God, the spirit of God. It makes sense when you know the story of Abram becoming Abraham and Sarah becoming Sarah. Why? Because their bodies were dead. God had made a promise that they would have a son. But what does he do? He per se, he breathes into them and they become alive. It is the spirit of God. So the point with David and the five stones is this is not a battle against flesh and blood. This is a spiritual battle and the spirit will handle it, which I needed to be reminded of yesterday because our battles are not a battle against flesh and blood, but they're spiritual battles. And so I'm going to pick up my spiritual offensive weapon, the word of God and prayer. And we're going to fight it that way. And I think we need to remember that we have not been given the spirit of fear, but of courage. God is in control and we can trust him. He has shown me that. And I know that. So I should be able to trust him and fight and not listen to the bullies. Because yesterday my head was filled with all kinds of bullies. Does your head get filled with bullies? And fear and lies? And so we have to rebuke that. And we have to fight that. Um, in prayer and the word of God and the spirit. And so this is what Hezekiah does. It says, he prays a beautiful prayer. He goes into the house of the Lord. And he lays down, by the way, they wrote their threats in letters to him. He lays those letters, too, before the Lord. And he prays and he says, Now, Lord our God, deliver us from the hand so that all kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are God. What does he do? He goes and lays all those threats. He goes into the house of the Lord. He lays them all down and he prays to God. I love this. What does he do? He knows he keeps his focus, his eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame to sit down at the right hand of God the Father. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Not too long ago in CCV, they did a, a series on Elijah, and they taught the story of Elijah praying for rain. One of my favorite parts of is do you realize Elijah himself never got up and looked? 
He sat there praying. He would send the servant to see if anything was happening. But he himself never looked. He sat there and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. He did not look at the circumstances around him. He just focused on Jesus and he trusted God and he prayed. And God brought the little cloud. You know what happened? Then he brought a storm. And then Elijah, he's a stud. He's a, he's a runner, you know, an endurance runner. He tucked that thing in his, in his loins and he ran and beat the chariot of Ahab. It's the greatest story to tell kids. But I love the fact that he kept his focus. He knew where his help came from. Yesterday, I was so charismatic. I was walking in the, around the house after I cried my guts out. And I was like, I will lift up mine eyes to the hills from which cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, the Lord which made heaven and earth. He said, he will not suffer thy foot, thy foot to be moved. The Lord which keepeth thee, he will not slumber nor sleep. The Lord is my keeper, the Lord is my shade upon the Upon thy right hand, oh, the sun will not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. He will reserve thy soul, even forevermore. Oh, my that song sing that song I don't have enough lungs to sing that song anymore but I'm telling you we have to claim that and isn't it the same thing too that he said to Peter when he got out of the boat he said Peter don't look at the waves look at me have you ever just been scared and you just focus thinking whatever happens Lord I'm going with you I'm just going to keep my eyes on you there is a truth that I'm telling you what where we look is where we're going. It is. Where we look. How often are you turning your head and looking at the past? No. I've been there. It wasn't that great. And time never goes backwards, so you can do nothing about it. Where are you looking now? I love it. We're going to see in a minute. Daniel did not give us history by verse 1. I'm giving you the history. Daniel knew all the history, but he wasn't looking back to the who, the why, the how come, how did I get? No. He was telling us from the moment in the present what was happening to him and where he was going. And so I do believe we need to learn from that. God was faithful, and he sent the angel of the Lord, which that is a description of when Jesus comes and acts, the angel of the Lord. And when he did, you guys, he came down and he annihilated 185,000 Assyrian troops. I'm telling you, they woke up the next day, looked out over the walls, and that place was demolished. 
Zach and I used to laugh all the time because we were Lord of the Rings freaks. We loved to watch Lord of the Rings. And there's a scene in there where Gandalf the Grey has died, and there was like a, a little moment there with the beast where the beast comes up with his whip, and he hits him on the heel. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's symbolism, Zach. And we would sit and talk about it, and then Gandalf the Grey comes back as Gandalf the White. And then he comes, and oh, the army that was standing before them of all these foul beasts, and Gandalf the White stomps his staff, and when he does, do you remember this little sweet thing? You're too young to watch Lord of the Rings. Um, and then it, you see this light come out, and I mean, they're just demolished. That's how I picture this. I picture it this way. Hezekiah fixed his eyes on Jesus. He laid that threat out before him. He knew he could not handle it on his own, and he trusted the Lord, and the Lord came through, and the, the Lord came down and destroyed in one night 185,000 Assyrians. And I'm going to tell you, they sent Sennacherib packing his lunch home. And when he got home, guess what? It was a really bad time for him. His sons killed him. Okay? And so they were saved. The story of Hezekiah continues in a really interesting way. Hezekiah got sick. Sick. I'm talking deathly ill. And Isaiah came to him and said, get your stuff ready. <laughs> get your situation ready. You outie. But Hezekiah prayed to God. And he asked God for a healing. And by the time Isaiah got out of the building, you guys, he had to turn around and walk back because he says, well, you got 15 more years. Gave him 15 more years. But then, after his healing, he did something that was pretty stupid. Aren't you glad? Like, it seems like perfection right now. But after that, and I've, I've always wondered, and I have no facts behind it, why all of a sudden then do you see him do this? Let me tell you what happens and then we'll be done. The Babylonians sent Hezekiah a gift because they heard that he had become sick. And they bring this whole entourage from Babylon saying, we've been concerned about you. We heard you were sick and that you were dying. And so we brought you this gift. I'm sure they've possibly heard about his miraculous healing, right? And so they bring this gift acting like, oh, we're just so concerned. But the fact is, what they were really after was an ally to fight the Assyrians. And Hezekiah fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. And what he did, I mean, come on, that's flattering, the world power comes to you. You're just Judah. You're not that big of a deal, okay? And the second world power that's fighting against the Assyrians comes and brings you a gift. And they want to make sure you're okay, and they're seeking political allies, okay? And you know what he does? He feels important. I always wonder, have things been going so good, and then he got healed, and then he's, he got 15 more years, and he knows that, and just somehow in the middle of that, he got a little bit cocky, a little bit puffed up, pride cometh before a fall, 
And then all of a sudden, the second world power comes and wants to ally and be friends and join forces against the Assyrians. And all of a sudden, you see him choose politicking or politics over faith in God. I could stop and preach there for just about 30 minutes, but I won't. And, and in the process, he opens up all his treasury and the temple And he literally shows the Babylonians everything he has. He pulled the curtain back and he let them see what all was there. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to backfire. And so we have this situation where on one hand, God came and literally wiped out the Assyrians, the enemy who was trying to come in the front gate. But then we look up and we realize that Hezekiah just opened the back door Because of flattery and pride, he just opened the back door to another enemy that was going to be a problem, right? Now, how in the world do I give you a take-home from just that chunk of history? (laughs) Surely there's one in there for you, right? Here's the thing. God is in control. And we're going to see times throughout this history working up. You know how I told you there'll be two weeks of history? There might be four. Um, It's okay. We got time. We got a whole year to talk about Daniel. Um, God in his sovereignty and his allowance is allowing history to happen, allowing the free will of man to take place. But he is sovereignly in control, not only of the big picture, but individual lives, if they'll let him, to do miraculous things. Because, don't forget this, why? Why is God so focused on this? Because he's made a promise. And that promise is that one day a Redeemer will come. And it's going to come through this people of Israel. And there, he is going to be in the line of David because that king, that kingdom will last forever. He's going to fulfill all those promises. And we're going to look at the law a little bit later, no matter what. So if I know that, and I know the history, and I see how he operated, can't I know he'll be faithful to me? Despite what it looks like, is he not trustworthy? And why is it that I go so much to other people to politic to help me with my problems when what I need to do is pray and watch God work and if that's the thing that would be the greatest thing my daughter would ever see is something to happen that we didn't even ask for that when we thought we were headed this way and it looked like just pure destruction that something beautiful arose out of that and guess what that's an opportunity to change my daughter's life and that's what I want more than a stupid key of soul do you know what I'm saying I really love being with y'all and I and it's it's a blessing I want to have a nervous breakdown today over tomorrow and sometimes this stresses me out but it's the greatest thing I could ever do in the middle of it. So just know that as you pray. And I also want you to really pray for this facility because I really like it. It's a great location. And one thing I'm pondering is that, I mean, if I have to, seriously, 
We'll break it up into two sessions. And some people can come early that don't need childcare. And then we'll have two sessions on a Tuesday morning. Um, we'll figure something out to be able to, I do love having all y'all together. It's very powerful, but we do need, and here's the thing, go to breakfast with each other, leave your cars at Cracker Barrel <laughs> and ride together. Like literally y'all like each other, put four or five people in one car, go to Cracker Barrel, find you a haymaker, do something, go to breakfast on Tuesday morning together, and then come over here, and we wouldn't need this many cars, okay? And I'm going to try to, speaking of politicking, I'm going to try to talk to some people I know and see if we have options across the way of places that we could park and walk over. We're working. My team, Cindy Bergarello, Kathy Oliva, Victoria Eblen, we're working to try to figure out how to solve these problems. Just know that, um, but pray about it. Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you for the opportunity to be with my friends and to literally study your word. It's truth. All of the things that I am talking about, we have geographical evidence for all of it. This is history. This is exactly what ha happened. Not only does the scripture say so and the testimony of the prophets, but literal geological evidence shows us all that I am talking about today. There is evidence for our faith. We can trust you. And so God, um, may we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Focus on you because we know where our help comes from. It comes from the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.